You know, one of the reasons uh, I love reading about different scripture, uh, stories in scripture in the Bible is because there's so many miracles in the Bible. You know, I think about the miracle, that time where God came to a, a 90-year-old woman, Sarah, and he allowed her to become pregnant and have a child. I love the miracle uh, of the parting of the Red Sea and Moses lifts his hands, right, and, and the waters part. I love the miracle as the, the Israelites are traveling through the wilderness, through the desert, and they're hungry. God rains down manna from heaven and feeds them. I love the miracle where God sends fire down on the earth um, to, for Elijah to burn up the prophets of Baal. I love the miracle of Jonah getting swallowed in the belly of a fish. I love the miracle of Daniel going into this den of lions and somehow, someway he comes out and survives. And that's just the Old Testament. I love the miracle of the Immaculate Conception where Jesus is born of the Virgin Mary. I love the miracle of Jesus turning water to wine. I love the miracle of Jesus walking on water. I love the miracle of how Jesus would heal person after person, little girls and old women. Jesus healed people, and it was always miraculous. And then I love the miracle of that day where there's this guy was dead for four days, and Jesus yells, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man walked out, and he was alive. And of course, the greatest miracle recorded in Scripture in the Bible is the day that Jesus said to his disciples, hey, I'm going to die, and three days later, I'm going to rise from the grave. He made that prediction, and then he actually pulled it off. The greatest miracle humanity has ever seen, Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Scripture is filled with all these big and miraculous stories. And, and you know, it, it's these time after time after time. God's people have got their backs up against the wall. They're not sure what to do. God comes in and rescues the people. Sometimes it's an individual. Sometimes it's a group of people. And God saves the day. God shows up and God does what only God can do. He does these big, extraordinary, miraculous signs and wonders. But that's not the story of Ruth. Oh, there is a miracle. In fact, there are many miracles in the story of Ruth. But if you've been here the past few weeks, you know that it's not big and flashy and, and out there and fireworks and all sorts of wild and crazy stuff going on. The miracle in the book of Ruth, it's a little more subtle. It's a little more under the radar. It's this thread that just goes through the entire story from beginning to end. And this morning, we're going to look and conclude the story of Ruth. Ruth picks up where the Old Testament book of Judges ends. And if you read the very last book of the book of Judges, it goes something like this. In those days, there was no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And it's this great statement 
and reminder to God's people that God had given them the law. God had given them instructions for living. God had told them exactly how they were to be uh, God's people. And they said, no, God, we know better. We got it. We're going to just do this on our own. And everyone just decided, we don't need your law, God. And it was a time, if you read the book of Judges, it's filled with blood and guts and gore and disease and famine and heartache and struggle. And when you read the book of Judges, you you ought to think to yourself, I think to myself, well, I guess that's what happens. That's what happens when we don't follow God's instructions uh, for our lives. And this is the story, the story of Ruth that comes right on the heels of the uh, the book of Judges. It's a time of great chaos, a a time of great disease and struggle and heartache and hatred. And there were wars and there were problems everywhere. And then on come to the stage comes a young girl by the name of Ruth. Ruth did not actually grow up in Israel in the promised land. She grew up in a land about 50 miles east in a land called Moab. And Ruth was a a, a pagan. She was born a pagan, meaning she worshipped false gods, other gods. And Ruth grew up in this pagan family with her pagan mom and her pagan dad, and she did kind of pagan, ordinary lifestyle things. But then one day, all of a sudden, in this land of Moab, there's another tent next door. They had new neighbors, neighbors from the land of Israel, their arch enemies, and they showed up. It was a Jewish family, a Jewish man by the name of Elimelech and his Jewish wife by the name of Naomi, and they had two Jewish boys, Malon and Kilion. And Ruth is like, huh, look at that. And pretty soon, Ruth and Malon fell in love, and they got married. And you think to yourself, oh, this is a great story. I love this story. But then Elimelech, Ruth's father-in-law, dies. And then Kilion, Ruth's brother-in-law, dies. And then Malon, Ruth's husband, dies. And it's, it's this story that just moves into tragedy and pain and suffering. And we ask ourselves, where is God in the midst of pain and suffering? And the story concludes with, the, with these three, or moves on with these three widows. What do they do? They've lost all their men, taking care of them. And so Orpah, Ruth's sister, says, yeah, I'm going to go marry another Moabite guy. Naomi, uh, Ruth's mother-in-law, says, I'm going home. I'm going back to Israel. I'm going back to Bethlehem. I've had it. And so there's Ruth right in the middle. What do I do? Stay in Moab or go to a place that I've never been before, to a people that I've never been? Uh, I don't know anything about them. And in that moment, we see the very first miracle in the story of Ruth. Ruth says, I'm surrendering my life, all that I know, all that is familiar, all that is around me, and I am going to follow after the one true God, the God of the Israelites. You know, anytime someone says, I'm surrendering to my own will and says, I'm going to follow God. It's a miracle, right? 
Anytime someone says, I'm, whatever is going on in my life, I'm just going to stop doing this and I'm going to turn around and follow God, it is a miracle because following after God makes no sense. What makes sense is doing what makes me comfortable and happy. Following God doesn't make me comfortable and happy. In fact, oftentimes it makes my life more complicated, more difficult, more problems. So why would we do that? Because God says, I'm going to be with you in the midst of your challenges, in the midst of your struggles. And so Ruth goes with her mother-in-law to Bethlehem. You probably have heard of it. To the land of the Israelites, to live among a people she had never been with before. And they show up, and uh, it's about as bad as what Ruth thinks. She's a foreigner in a foreign land, and the Israelites hated the Moabites, And so Ruth and Naomi with her mother-in-law show up in Bethlehem, and Ruth says, tell you what, you stay here, I'm going to go get us some food. And so Ruth goes out into the field, and she starts gathering some grain. And if you were here a couple weeks ago, you remember this part of the story. It says in the original Hebrew that it was a happenstance that she happened to happen to a particular field. Ruth doesn't just go to any old random field, although in her mind she thinks it's just a random field where she can gather grain. But what the story tells us, what the biblical writers tell us, is this was 100% purposeful, it was meaningful, and it did not just happen. It happened to be the land of a wealthy guy by the name of Boaz. And there's a miracle, another miracle, if we recognize this second miracle, that God puts us in places at just the right time, even when we think it's random, even when we think there is no purpose to it. So as she's out there gathering grain, all of a sudden Boaz shows up. He's looking at his field on that particular day. And he calls one of the field workers over and says, hey, who's that girl out there? I don't recognize her. He says, oh, that's Ruth. She's from Moab, that pagan land. But she was really good to her mother-in-law, Naomi, who, by the way, is your distant relative. And so she's helped Naomi through a very difficult time. And Boaz said, ah, I like what I see. And so Boaz goes out and has a a conversation with Ruth. And again, I think this is a miracle that Boaz just happens to be at one of his fields on that particular day. He just shows up and notices this young Moabite woman. Well, the story continues. And not only do they have a conversation, but uh, Boaz is very generous to Ruth. He gives her lots of grain, and then he invites her to experience some secret service, some protection, because it was a very dangerous time for a young widowed woman, and there were all these guys out in the field. And these guys typically, remember in those days, everybody did what they thought was right. There were not rules like we have rules today. Guys just did what they wanted to do with women. And that was the precarious situation that Ruth was in as a single young woman. But Boaz says, nope, guys, I want you to protect her. 
and he gave her lots of grain and he took care of her in, any, in every kind of way. And then Ruth said, why are you being so nice to me? What have I done to deserve um, the, the grace that you have given to me? Your favor is the word he, the, the language he uses. And it's a miracle. Why in the world would this guy with so much, a Jewish man, give uh, all sorts of stuff, all sorts of provision to this widowed, poor uh, woman out in his field? He says, well, I, I'm not doing this because I'm an awesome guy. He says, I'm doing this because I've been blessed by God, the God of Israel. And so I just want to bless you. And so in that moment, Ruth, it, Ruth experiences grace. And whenever we experience God's grace in our life, that idea that we get something, that we receive something from God that we don't deserve, it's a gift. It's a miracle. And in that moment, Ruth receives yet another miracle of something so good and some, um, something so wonderful. So Ruth goes home, tells her mother-in-law, Naomi, hey, this is what happened. I met this guy. He was really nice to me. He was actually more than really nice to me. He, he took care of me. And so then Naomi starts plotting about how to get these two married. And so she hatches a plan. She says, here's what I need you to do, Ruth, is I want you to go to this place at this time, and I want you to behave this way, and these are the words I want you to say to Boaz, and just let him know that you're single and you're available, and whatever happens, happens. And so Ruth does exactly that. She shows up, she meets uh, Boaz in a particular place in a particular time, and Boaz says, oh, that sounds good, but... There's someone else who has a closer relationship to Naomi, your mother-in-law. And you and I can't even begin to date until I get permission from that other person. That other person, as Jeff spoke about last week, it's called the kinsman redeemer. And it's how they took the Jewish people took care of one another. Their society, their clan, their family, they took care of one another, all their distant relatives. And there was somebody else who had dibs on Naomi and Ruth. And so Boaz goes to this other guy and says, you know, I would really like to take care of Naomi and Ruth. And through lots of scheming, the guy says, okay, sounds good. And then Ruth and Boaz are ready to get married. And that's where we're going to pick up this morning. Ruth 4, um, chapter, or verse, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And I think this is the fifth miracle in the story. Because I think any time a man and a woman stand at an altar make vows to one another. It's a miracle. Now, most of us have probably been to weddings, right? One of the interesting things about my role at weddings is I don't just get a front row seat. I get a front row to the front row of the, of the wedding. And I got to tell you, every single wedding that I get to be a part of, every single marriage union, I stand there with the bride and the groom, and I get all emotional, and I'm just getting kind of choked up. I have trouble talking. 
I always have to bite my tongue a little bit so I don't start crying. Because I think a marriage union is one of the most beautiful uh, things that God has given to us, a partner in life to journey with together. And those of us who have experienced a marriage union know how wonderful it is and how hard it is, <laughs> right? Because I also want to look at these, you know, these people who are getting married and say, you have no idea what you're in for. Things are about ready to hit the fan, right? Marriage is hard. It's really hard. And in that moment, it's so beautiful. But I just want to say, are you sure? Because <laughs> it's hard. But I think every marriage union that God brings together is a miracle and a gift from God. But it is also opens a whole can of worms for a whole lot of mess and a whole lot of struggle. Okay, here we go. Uh, verse, uh, continuing with verse 13. Uh, when Boaz made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord, who on this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. Again, this is what Jeff talked about last week. May he become famous throughout Israel, he being Boaz. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Naomi's thinking social security. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you when it was better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in your arms and cared for him. The women uh, living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And so not only is Ruth blessed in this relationship, but so is Naomi, her mother-in-law. And I think the miracle here is when God is doing stuff in our midst, he doesn't just bless you, but there's reverberations that go out to others around you. And we look at those reverberations and say, wow, God not, not only blessed me with however God blessed me, but God used that blessing so that I could bless others. And that's what they're celebrating in this moment uh, for Naomi. And I think it's just an yet another miracle uh, for us to celebrate and to think about. Uh, it's, it's, it's Naomi's life. It's Naomi's life that is also blessed in this moment. This, then, is the family of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon uh, the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. King David. The story of Ruth ends with a genealogy. And you might think, well, that's kind of anticlimactic. It just kind of, you know, start reading through the phone book here, right? The story was just kind of this great love story at the beginning, and then it goes downhill, then it comes uphill, and then we start reading the phone book and all these, these genealogies and what in the world is going on here? And I think it's this great reminder uh, for us of yet another miracle is that Ruth is connected in the genealogy to King David and later to Jesus. And why does this matter? 
Why does God, you know, in Scripture, there, this isn't the only place where there's a genealogy. Why does God give us these genealogies to read through, just to uh, make us stumble as we're reading through the Bible? It's because I think what, God, what one of the things God is trying to do is to help us to understand that God is in the details of our life, in these seemingly uh, uh, details that we don't fully understand. Oftentimes when we think about God, we think to ourselves, ah, God, big, creator of the universe, uh, maker of the mountains. He created the oceans and, and the stars in the sky. And we, we think of the bigness and the grandeur and the extraordinary things that God does. But I think in, in the genealogy here, there's also a reminder that God works in the small details of our lives, in those little things that may seem insignificant, but God says they're not insignificant. My hand was leading and guiding those details. Back in the 1990s, uh, early 1990s, uh, I was living in uh, Los Angeles in the Southern California. And uh, while I was in seminary, uh, I was living with uh, an 82-year-old man. His name was Alden Barnett. And uh, Alden was a widower. He lost his wife a few years ago. And the great thing about, uh, one of the great things about Alden is he had a condominium uh, real close to the seminary. So I lived with him and um, had le spent lots of time with him. And he just welcomed me into his house because, frankly, he was lonely. And he was looking for some companionship. Well, Alden had a 1984 Chevy Chevette, and uh, we spent uh, several years driving all over Los Angeles, California in a 1984 Chevy Chevette. Sometimes I would drive, sometimes Alden would drive. I prayed a lot when Alden was driving. It was really good for my prayer life while I was in seminary. And one of the things I loved about Alden, he was 82, but he had more energy uh, than I have today for sure is that he could see God in the smallest of details. So there we are driving down the Santa Monica freeway. He's trying to get one lane over, and I'm just over there praying that we don't have a big old accident. He gets over and he shouts out, praise the Lord. And then we'd get off the freeway, we'd pull into a parking lot, we'd circle about six times and he'd find a parking spot and he'd be like, praise the Lord, there's a parking spot. We'd get home. Alden would get out his meals that we picked up from the, the senior center there in Pasadena, and we'd set it down, and he'd say, praise the Lord. Alden saw God's miraculous presence in just the simplest little things in life. And I got to tell you, at the time, I thought, okay, this guy's a little off his rocker. That's a little bit much, right? Is God really paying attention to making sure you get in one lane over? Does God really care if you get a good parking spot? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. But what I think is beautiful about Alden is he actually had the eyes to see God's presence, God's control, God's sovereignty, not just in the big things in life, but in the little, tiny, mundane details of everyday life. Praise the Lord. So when uh, Cindy and I got married about two years later, um, there we were at the church and I had my four groomsmen all in their 20s. 
my 84-year-old groomsman, Alden Barnett, standing up. And I think he had to sit down during the service because it was a really long sermon. But that's what he meant to me. A man who could see God in the little details of life. And I think that's what's going on here in the story of Ruth. But of course, the key to all this is we actually have to have the eyes to see God's miraculous in these little, tiny details. And you never know what hangs in the balance. You don't know what hangs in the balance for how you are influencing future generations. See, this is in this moment, I cannot imagine Ruth thought to herself, well, someday... My great-great-great-great-grandson is going to be King David. I don't think Ruth had any idea that she was in this lineage, in this genealogy. She was just a faithful woman being faithful in her time. See, when God calls us, invites us to, to follow him and to serve him, we have an opportunity to be obedient. And you don't know what hangs in the balance of your obedience and future generations. See, I'm standing here before you this morning, not because I'm awesome, not because I'm faithful, not because uh, things have just, I've just done everything right in life. I'm standing before you this morning because I had amazingly faithful parents as a child, I remember every single morning we'd sit around the breakfast table and my dad would read scripture and then we would pray together as a family. I remember praying in the evenings uh, with my family. I remember getting up on Sunday morning and never once did I think to myself, I wonder if we're going to church today. That thought never came into my mind because on Sunday mornings, that's what we did as a family. We just went to church. And all of a sudden, I talk to other people, and they're like, well, we're not sure if we're going to go to church today. I'm like, what? This is what we do as followers of Jesus Christ, as we gather together on Sunday morning for worship. It's not an option. That's how I was raised. I remember Wednesday night going to choir, youth choir practice, and then afterwards going to youth group. I remember um, having church families over to our house and sitting out on the back deck and sharing a meal together with these other church people. And I remember going to other people's homes and, and we were a community and we were built on relationship and connection. I was so steeped in the life of the church and walking with Jesus uh, in my family growing up. It was like breathing I didn't even know I was doing it. It was just that natural to my life. And then we go to my grandparents' farm, and we'd go to their church. And it was Missouri Synod, and we were never, well, we knew we weren't getting communion. But beyond that, we were never really sure what was going to happen, but it was, it was just, we'd have conversations. Then we'd go back to my grandma and grandpa's house, and we'd talk more about what God was up to in our lives. And oftentimes it was just in the little details. See, I stand before you because there are parents, grandparents that generationally poured into me so that I could stand before you this morning and share from the book of Ruth. 
This is what happens when we are faithful in our lives today. We don't know how we are impacting future generations. You don't know what hangs in the balance. I'm going to invite you, if you've got your Bibles, to go to Matthew 1. If you don't have your Bibles, just sit back and listen here. Matthew 1, an account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz, uh, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. By who? Ruth. This is in the Gospel of Matthew. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. And Joram, the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah, the father of Jotham. And Jotham, the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Salamathiel, and, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matin, and Matin the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, and the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Messiah." This is in the Gospel of Matthew. This is how the story of Jesus begins. And the author very clearly tells us it goes way back. It goes back to Boaz and Ruth in this precarious situation. This woman just shows, who happens to happenstance, show up in a field to pick some grain, and it happens to be Boaz's field. And they happen to have a conversation on that day, and they just happen to, Boaz is able to convince this other guy that uh, he should actually be able to marry Ruth, and they just happen to get married, and they just happen to have a baby who just happened to be the great-grandfather of King David. See, these things are not random. And if these details are not random, you ought to read this story. You ought to read every genealogy and go, oh, maybe I'm not random. Maybe there's meaning and purpose in my life. And maybe it's not, I won't even see that meaning and purpose in this life, but who knows, maybe my great, 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 great grandchildren are going to benefit. Maybe not even my kids. My kids are messed up, all right? Let's just, let's just, you know, be honest, right? My kids are messed up. Maybe my grandkids are messed up. I don't know. But I want you to have hope. Maybe it's way down the line. Your kids are, your great-grandkids are going to be something else, right? And they're going to be the Billy Graham. They're going to be evangelists. I don't know. They're going to change the world. Nelson Mandela. I don't know. 
But we ought to read these genealogies and go, whoa, God used, you know, this long line of people. And it was not random. It was on purpose. It was meaningful. And Ruth is connected to Jesus the Messiah. And make no mistake about it, this genealogy I just read, these were not perfect people. You know, we think about Abraham, he was a liar. Jacob, uh, he was a swindler and a cheat. King David was a womanizer, right? I mean, that's just three right there. We could kind of go through and look at every one of their lives. These were not perfect people. These were messed up, broken people. But that's who God uses to proclaim the kingdom of God. Generation after generation. And one of the things I want you to hear this morning is that sometimes God is going to use your faithfulness to bless future generations. Other times, God is going to use you in spite of you to bless future generations. When I was a kid, uh, I remember my parents had this um, picture on the wall. It was actually a pretty good-sized portrait of this stoic couple. I don't know if any of you have some uh, pictures of, of relatives on the wall. So I remember one day going to my dad and saying, hey, who is that couple? And my dad said, well, that's actually your great, 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 great uh, grandparents who traveled from central Germany to uh, southwestern Wisconsin. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, they're kind of a good-looking couple. They're stoic. You know, it's, it's kind of one of these black and whites. You know, you're looking at it and going, wow. Well, what else do you know about these people, Dad? You get a little quieter. Voice kind of dropped a little bit in tone. Said, well, we don't talk a lot about them. The story is they ran a brothel in Platteville, Wisconsin. Hey, I've got prostitution in my lineage. Sometimes God uses our lineage to do what he's going to do. Other times God uses our lineage to do in spite of our lives. And that's what the sovereignty of God is. With or without you, God's going to do what God's going to do. And it's going to be good. And he's going to be faithful. And he's going to bless you. And he is going to bless future generations. So I want to wrap up this morning uh, by, by asking you this question, maybe the obvious question. What will your, your legacy be for your future generations? What will the, your legacy be for the generations that come after you? Maybe uh, your great, 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 great grandchildren are looking at a portrait of you on the wall. Hey, who was that? What are they going to say about you? Are they going to talk about your career, your hobbies, your interests? Maybe that you were told jokes, the good, the bad, all that stuff. Are they going to talk about your faith in Jesus Christ and how your faith so influenced future generations. And what if your great, 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 great grandkids say, he was the one 
who lived his faith in Jesus Christ that I stand before you today and I name the name of Jesus. I mean, what if your grandkids said that about you? Wouldn't that be something? You know, I once heard it said that sin wants us to write a biography. And a biography, of course, is this is what I did. This is my career. These were my hobbies. These were my people. These are all the ways that I spent my time walking on this earth. This, and, and a biography is all about me. It's about all about what I do. And if that's what a biography is, God wants us to write a testimony. And a testimony is very similar to a biography in that all the details are pretty much the same in a biography. But a testimony says all those things, and this is how God got me through it. All those things that happened in my life. This is where Jesus showed up. This happened in my life, and then Jesus rescued me. This happened in my life, and God guided me through this. This happened in my life, and all of a sudden, Jesus showed up and said, I am with you, and he was holding me through all that. This happened in my life, and it wasn't until years later that I'm like, oh, that was the hand of God in the smallest, most mundane details guiding me and carrying me. So what is your testimony for future generations? What are those three or four key life events that have happened in your life? And we've all got a biography, right? So you could tell me about your biography all day long. But what are those thinking things that happened in your life? And you can stand over here in your testimony and say, see, that was Jesus leading me through. Remember that time I was really struggling financially? Now, years later, I look back and I just see the hand of God holding me. See that time that I went through this really terrible relationship. It was so hard. It was so horrible. That's your biography. See, there was Jesus carrying me through that time. Remember when I was between jobs, I was stuck in my career. I couldn't move forward. I didn't know what to do. And now I look back and I say, Jesus was with me and holding me and carrying me and guiding me in the smallest of details. That's your testimony. And when we can be clear about our testimony, future generations might just know the saving power of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this uh, miracle of a story about Ruth where the miracles are not big and flashy, but small and mundane and ordinary, just like our lives. But yet, God, you are so faithful to Ruth every step of the way. And God, you used her, not just in her lifetime, but for future generations. God, make us humble, make us obedient to be like Ruth so that future generations may know you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.